Hello everyone and welcome to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Louise. And I'm Rachel. And we are the Coaches on the Couch. And we're really pleased to be joined today by Andrew Ruck and Leah Stewart from Civic Engineers. Morning you two. Hello, nice to see you. Hi. Nice to see Hi. you too. Hi. Obviously we're going to have to start with finding out about your couch and Leah, I'm going to come to you first. Well, my couch actually makes a fantastic den and I've turned it into a, a soundproof pod for recording this today. Well, you are the first person we've had as a guest on this podcast who has been sort of underneath or sort of in their couch. And um, Andrew, you're actually on yours, which is quite nice to see. Yeah, no, so tell us something about yours. Generally speaking, my son is permanently attached to this couch looking at this screen and playing on an Xbox. So today I've, I've had to positively rent this couch so that he could be out of the room for a, for a period of time so I have some peace of quiet. So uh, I'll, I'll owe him later. Has money changed hands? Not, not yet, but it's going to have to. <laughs> well, we're sorry to inconvenience him, but uh, I'm sure he'll live for an hour or so. <laughs> yeah, fine. That's right. I really admire your commitment, both particularly Leah in the tent. That's definitely the first time we've seen that. Let's just go into a bit of a background about civic engineers. So civic engineers are civil, structural and transport engineers, 90 strong across four studios in London, Manchester, Leeds and Glasgow, working on a number of high profile projects at the moment, including Mayfield in Manchester for you and I, uh, the Gascoigne Estate for Be First in London, the Avenues in Glasgow, which is one of the largest street redesign projects in the UK and obviously really relevant at the moment, as well as a portfolio of projects for Cadogan Estate and the National Trust. And Leah, you've recently been promoted um, to director, but you have been with Civit since 2016. You're a chartered transport and street engineering specialist with a keen interest in the public realm and a passion for making healthy, prosperous and inclusive places. And you lead on transport engineering across the practice, working on projects around the UK. And I also picked up that you wear a gold cycle helmet and you bake sourdough bread. So presumably you're an expert now um, because that was even before lockdown you were baking. And Andrew, you're the self-described new kid on the block at Civic. You joined earlier this year as technical director in the London studio following 10 years at Alan Baxter and the next 10 at AKT2. And your last project before joining Civic was the Sterling Prize winning headquarters for Bloomberg, which must have been very exciting. And you're currently working on a large mixed use project, which you can't name. Now, I understand from the company website that you're a DIY fan, although I've seen a picture of your garden bench. So I imagine you appreciated the time you had during lockdown to practice this hobby. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, we have a garage out the back that uh, basically is a, a hoard of bits of leftover materials and stuff. So from any building projects we undertake, oh, I've undertaken here, which includes knocking the back of the house down and redoing the roof and stuff, all the leftovers I collect in, in, with, with the hope that one day they'll come into use. And so I'm yeah, definitely a, a kind of keen, keen repurposer of anything I can lay my hands on. Very sustainable. <laughs> do my best. <laughs> what are your main projects at the moment, Leah? And nice, uh, some nice housing developments in your, which are really progressive. It's great to have um, such a good client there. They, they, they want to make them really zero carbon, low carbon. So they're being built to passive house standards. Um, we're really putting forward the case for low car parking and sustainable lifestyles. And then it's not just about restricting car parking spaces, for example. It's about supporting people in, in a low car lifestyle. So making sure that they have 
really good places to park their bikes and that they maybe have bus tickets to um, free bus tickets to start off with. Okay, great. Well, that's a neat segue into our conversation today as we'd like to start in the area of climate change. That's something which I know is core to Civic's approach. Before we went into lockdown, this was very much in the spotlight and then obviously over, overshadowed by COVID. But this, having spent a few months now with birdsong in the background of team pools and people now preferring to cycle and walk, I'm wondering what you think we must capture from this period? It's, it's been great to see all the uh, temporary cycle lanes bringing up. Um, we've seen that across a lot of local authorities. We've been coning off cycle lanes and, and really putting an emphasis on allocating public realm to, to people walking and cycling. And, and we're seeing emergency funding directed in that way as well, which is absolutely brilliant. We're seeing people living more local lives, actually. The number of people I've spoken to who said, oh, I've discovered paths and parts of my town that I hadn't even known about just in the, in the last few months. And, and people are, are exploring their local areas and also probably spending more time in them because we're not rushing off to the office every day. We're, we're actually spending more time with our neighbourhoods and with our communities. And, and that's been that's been really positive and to be able to capture that and, and see policies and funding move that way as well to support that. I sit on the um, green economy panel of the local LEP and they're talking about increasing cycling by 2000%. That's one of their, their goals, which is absolutely, you know, this is to meet climate change targets. So we've got to get to zero carbon by 2038. How are we going to do that? Well, we have to invest in walking and cycling. And I think lockdown has given us a really stark example of how quickly we can change a society. It would be lovely to kind of harness and capture this, you know, the bird song, the, the localism, the community, the kind of sense of community that people have fostered. People are really, really keen to hang on to this living in what you know, the same place that they've always lived in has suddenly become a nicer place to live because of the, the, the reduction in traffic, the cleaner air, um, and just people walking and moving around it in different ways. If we can, if we can harness that, that would be amazing. My, my, my fear is that kind of return to pre-COVID business as usual is threatening, and we can already see it um, with, with the kind of return to work and returns to schools that, that that kind of car traffic is on the increase um, and and really those those perhaps slightly more enlightened local authorities have made have made really meaningful steps to kind of capture some of this whereas others are perhaps you know, falling back into uh, old bad habits. I mean how do you lead the conversation with those authorities who are perhaps less progressive you know what would you advise them or perhaps take from the leading authorities and advise them? That's a really tough one. Ultimately, a lot of it is, you know, it's political, um, and it and it, it it comes down to you know, democracy, what the local populace wants, um, and there's you know, and so you get a very varied response depending on the political persuasion of a particular local authority. Um, so, so I, I think in some respects, what would be great would be to depoliticize the idea of walking and cycling and 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 just bring this back to the basic human condition that this is about neighborhoods people livelihoods well-being um just the fundamentals of quality of life and if there was some way of taking the kind of politics out of it then i'm sure people would see that actually the um, road space is about people moving and they move in different ways on foot in cars on bikes 
and it's just about how we reallocate some of that space for and repurpose some of it for different uses just to help make the way the world is a slightly you know, slightly better functioning system when you look at things from a public health perspective and you you say who who well who wouldn't want a healthy healthy uh, place for their children to live or who wouldn't want a nicer street then it sort of becomes a no-brainer really and and it and it shouldn't be a political thing and it's also important to recognize that streets and places aren't aren't just about moving people through it's not just a functional thing it's it's also that stickiness and that that spending time in places and and it, places aren't successful because people can move through them quickly they're successful because people stop and pause and have a conversation or they buy a coffee and and that coffee business is then more prosperous and that that, that we all get to to spend more time together actually that's interesting because in the the era of social distancing and things having to be redesigned to enable those things like stopping to have a coffee to still be at least a little bit casual and so that the design of those spaces becomes more important doesn't it and i was just wondering whether the that there are actually opportunities for companies like civic in the sort of covid19 recovery in the recovery period with this with with some of the sort of temporary transitional measures to repurpose highway space um, and put in temporary cycle routes the kind of consequence of that to, to begin certainly to begin with is the potential for increased um, traffic congestion on the on the part of the highway that's still allocated to, to cars there's a there's a kind of we need to have a, a kind of change in perception of movement across society i think because to begin with everybody will expect oh i can get in my car people expect to be able to travel from a to b in a you know in a certain time frame unimpinged un, unhindered by by other things but, but the practical reality is that you can't suddenly take 85 percent out of the public transport the capacity out of the public transport system and and impose social distancing and then expect the transport system to carry on working and functioning as it always did so, so in some respects what one does need and this is perhaps slightly painful to begin with is some positive gridlock on some of the car aspects to actually encourage people to change you know, to encourage behavioral change away from the motor car so that people recognize that actually walking and cycling um, you know, what providing we facilitated it and, and put stuff in place so it can be done safely is actually going to get you from A to B quicker. The see, the see, you see the bikes whizzing past. I love all this temporary stuff. I think it's brilliant. One of the, um, it, just, it enables you to do live consultation. And it's, um, you know, you're, you're saying to people, oh, well, you know, it's all right. If it doesn't work, we'll take it out. And, uh, and you leave it for a bit longer and leave it for a bit longer. And then, and then that's how a lot of schemes have actually come forward is you, you do what's called an experimental traffic order and you you live consult you test things out i mean that's that's what the french do they they put out road cones and they test out what happens at this junction if you just allow cyclists to turn left or you you ban the left turn for cars and and you just test it out make it work for a few weeks and see what happens we suggested a car free school in leeds that's that's what we we've been working with situ in, in the climate innovation district in leeds and we we've designed for them um a multi-generational building which incorporates a school a care home a nursery and residential development and the school is a car-free school and as clients that you were really keen that this is what goes ahead a car-free school so we said why don't we build in Leeds first kind of purpose-built we'll put the school in and they will be school streets from day one what we were saying uh, maybe a year ago that was was quite um 
new uh, quite a, a difficult idea to accept and implement is now something that that is more mainstream i think the the climate emergency and and covid as well has enabled change to accelerate and and we can grasp these new ideas and and accept that we can try them out we won't always get them right first time but but actually we do need to start making changes and there seems to be a lot of talk about that although i hope that i'm just not talking to the people who agree with me all the time i think that's mm. the danger often the way isn't it yeah We're just thinking mm. the, the broadening the conversation out a little bit and so i know environment is one of civics real sort of core values and i'm just there are other values at um, civic engineers which i also know important but i just wondered Andrew, from your perspective, perhaps having joined the organisation relatively recently, how you see those values sort of play out within the, the leadership, perhaps in the company? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's interesting because values is something that not all organisations talk about. And, and to, to, to sort of join, a, join a, an organisation and to really kind of experience, experience, I guess, values um, being part of the DNA of an organization. So it, so it kind of oozes out of the pores of everything that the, the, the company does. As a leadership team and with our values, I think what we've recognized is, is the importance of, in, of listening to everyone's voices and, and how we get better, we get better results for, for how we run our, run our organization and how we engineer as well, how we do our work by including more people's views, you know. We, we've been, some of the parts of the industry I've worked in in the past, I've spent a lot of time being a transport planner and we know that transport planners tend to plan around the commuter going into the town and out of the town every day from nine to five. And actually that's not how a lot of people's lives work. It's not how my life works. I have three children. Some days I take them to school. Some days I have to take them to other things. Some days I have my own things going on even sometimes, not very often, but, <laughs> but, but actually people's lives aren't in the same kind of nine to five rigidity. And I think that's the same with our employees. So listening to everybody's voices and learning to listen to different types of voices in our leadership as well. So uh, I've been recently promoted to be a director of civic engineers, which has um, been really exciting for me, but also, I've had to start thinking about how I'm going to behave as a leader and, and learning to do that in a way that's authentic for me and learning to, to listen to different types of leadership and address my own unconscious bias and, and think about different voices in our, in, amongst our employees and how we incorporate um, people's feelings and well-being and excellence and um, ideas and all of that that actually not everyone has the same model of doing these things but drawing out the best from everyone really means appreciating everyone's individuality and creating a much more inclusive and listening environment i think i think there's a lot of modeling that you know i mean i, I get involved quite a lot as a, a school governor with schools and hear, hear a lot from teachers about how they teach um, children and modeling behavior is is quite a key component in that and i think there's there's a lot actually that, that leadership can learn from if, if you if you want to cultivate a particular culture and environment you've got to kind of live and breathe it and and be the embodiment of it in, in almost everything that you do so our, our behavior of, of us as senior leadership team is really really important um, and we have to be self-critical 
um, and and think about how how we're conducting ourselves because ultimately you know we want we we're trying to be a, a reflection of of the kind of values that we put out there and so so it, yeah and it, it's it's a challenge but it's a fantastic challenge because it would be so easy to to just focus on you know um, normal corporate things um, and just focus on the bottom bottom line and the finances and all that kind of stuff and actually there's there's so much more to being part of a part of an organization um, if, if, if you have this kind of higher aspiration as part I of it. I think the use of that word authentic, I'm just going to pick up on Leo, Leo you mentioned the word authentic and I was doing some reading about this recently and authentic leadership sort of became part of the vocabulary about 2003 I think with a book by somebody called Bill George and now it's kind of slipped into kind of everyday leadership talk and and um, I think just exploring what it what it means which is basically being true to yourself and honest and acting with integrity mm. and all those things that you say are kind of encapsulated in the in the values that that civic have and I was just wondering because you know there's we've got architects declare we've got engineers declare we've even got coaching declares actually and that's sort of coaching through the lens of environmentalism and we sent you something about it may not been of the easiest article to read but i was just wondering about that because it's basically if we're being authentic and we're being true to the values that put the environment first then that means the environment has to has to come absolutely first doesn't it and you used an interesting example earlier andrew well, it's, I find it as a structural engineer, I'm, you know, a massive ethical and moral dilemma. Strictly speaking, if a client were to ring us up and say, "Yeah, would you, we'd like to you know, engage you as a structural engineer on our building project," the the first question that any self-respecting structural engineer with a mind to embodied carbon and causing less harm to the planet should say is, "Well, you know, do you really is a building the right thing for you?" Um, so, so actually, the best response for us is to do ourselves out of a job and persuade that client that the best thing they could do is not build a building. That's you know, uh, and so there, therein lies the kind of dilemma as to what one does. Um, so, so then, you, then perhaps if you accept, you know, that this client's come to you and genuinely does need a building. So, so the question then has to be: Do you need a new one, or can we, you know, can you go hunting for one? I, I think it's quite interesting that. Um, a lot of you know, local authorities are selling off masses of civic assets, libraries, old town halls, old civic centres and things. Um, at the same time as universities are asking themselves the questions, right, what, what is the nature of a university? Um, and, you know, we've got there's models of university ed higher education, which are things like the open university model that doesn't tend to involve the use of buildings. Um, and, but then there's more kind of more traditional universities that are very much about a student experience, a campus, and going to a place. So, so when you sort of start to try and draw some of these strands together, it's it's you know should should we be we should as engineers be saying to our clients, okay, you, you, you might you said you want a new university building, okay, well the next bit is then can we go and find one or find a building that's already there that you can you can repurpose, populate, use. Um, and, and provide first aid to because some of these existing buildings perhaps aren't in the best of conditions, but you can breathe um, new life into them. Um, so all of that is about actually us asking the fundamental, being brave enough, and it's, I have to say it's hard, 
um, because ultimately, um, you know, providing a structural engineering service, one has to still try and remain commercially viable as a business. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, part of the success uh, is persuading people not to harm the planet. Um, and then the other, then once one accepts that, okay, perhaps a new building is indeed the right answer for a particular client, it's, well, then what do we make it out of? And do we really have to use the, the basic 20th century materials of steel and concrete that we know cause harm to the planet because they will chuck out a stack load more greenhouse gas in their production? Um, or are there other things we can do? Um, tim, yeah, timber is obviously the obvious answer, but can, can we go and find bits of buildings that already exist and repurpose them? Um, you know, I've made my bench in the garden out of old, uh, old floor joists, and it's, it's that model that just you know, blown up onto a bigger scale. But it, it's a massive dilemma. It's about thinking more intelligently about things. If we can spend a little bit more time and perhaps design something which has less concrete in it, then we're saving loads of carbon or we have that we have a steel beam that's more slender then we're saving we're saving loads of carbon again i think some of the other things that i've been thinking a lot about recently with work is not just the design of things but the operation as well so and and the behavioral um impact of how we design our towns and cities as well so not just designing something but actually putting in travel plan measures for example that that help people understand what their opportunities are and it's not just the same old same old we're not just going to build a development where a housing development where everyone has two car parking spaces maybe they only have one car parking space by their house maybe there's somewhere else nearby that they could park a second car but do they need that second car or is there could they have a free bus pass and that they've never tried the bus before but maybe they have now and 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 maybe they realize it's it's loads cheaper than owning a second car so we have to start working with people as individuals and um and understanding people's lives and what their barriers are to to use it to cycling for example or what what they're you know a lot of people won't cycle because they really care about having straight hair when they get to work <laughs> they don't want their hair messed up so would it make a difference if an employer built built bought a, a set of hair straighteners at work and that actually meant that someone could cycle into work you know is it simple things like that 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 actually act as barriers to people cycling to work because some people that really matters to them I, I in terms of authenticity you know I've been trying to I've been trying to lead the kind of life that I advocate in all these developments and trying to do experiments like can I just go for a week just doing jobs on my bike so I'll take my kids to school push my bike up cycle down to the station go and get some shopping go into work you know so I've been I've been trying it's, it's sort of like a one-woman crusade because I live in a really hilly town but um <laughs> it's not always going very well but I'm trying I'm really trying to uh, to see if this works and find out what the barriers are for me and what the barriers are for other people in my community who might struggle to make those decisions as well so what we're saying is if you're looking at things through an environmental lens you're constantly having to go I mean your your engineering work you're constantly having to go through that kind of moral and ethical weighing up if you're going to do it authentically, you, you have to have that lens on and and be prepared to you know, decline a commission if it if it doesn't if it doesn't fit you know, and, and if it's not appropriate and you know some, that, that takes some soul searching and courage. Um, but so, uh, and I mean one of the, one of the things that I'm quite keen on doing with with you know, any client is to actually understand their own uh, 
um, corporate and social responsibility charter and their own environmental charters. So that because quite often people procuring building projects, for example, don't necessarily have you know, at their fingertips or in their in their DNA the, the entire environmental philosophy of their parent organisation. And actually, if you can get a hold of on, on most big corporate websites, there'll be an environmental policy and you can dig into it. And actually, it's really helpful to remind some of the clients that we're working for. You do realise that part of your own philosophy and set of values is, is pushing this. So that gives us the kind of ammunition in a way to, to say, well, in that case, can we really, you know, can we spend a little bit more money on some really low carbon concrete? Or can, can we, you know, can we just rethink things a little bit and perhaps design things for slightly different design loadings? or perhaps review flexibility. Um, ironically, I mean, one of the things people often do with buildings is, is think that um, big spans and open spaces in flexible space is the kind of panacea of, low, uh, uh, of long, longevity and, and flexible buildings. Whereas actually, um, in, in order to provide all those long spans, you end up um, putting an awful lot more material into the building structures. Um, and actually, there's a lot to be said for smaller spans and smaller spaces um, and, and, and using less embodied carbon in, 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 in projects. But that, that's kind of turning on its head the kind of conventional wisdom of, of how one designs um, low energy buildings. But it, it's grabbing all of this stuff and trying to package it up in a way that a client can understand. Fascinating. And just because you're relatively new Andrew, I just think it's interesting to think, you know, how does how do those values and that environmental um, kind of backbone, if you like, the core of civic, how does that translate into the, was it something that attracted you to work for them? And does it attract clients to work for civic? I suppose I'm asking both of you, but just Andrew from maybe from the recruitment point of view and Leah from the client point of view. A lot of the ingredients in civic that, that you know, are there was to some extent already in my DNA because um, you know, some of the founding members of Civic and some of the other sort of fellow directors I worked with 15 years ago. I mean, I worked with Leah back in 2005, 2006, 2007. So, um, you know, we, we, we've, come, we've come through, some of us have come through a kind of similar apprenticeship. Um, and so, so, so it, it, was, it was quite, a, from my perspective, it was quite natural. Um, and and it, was, yeah, it was kind of, you know, planets aligned and and the dna was the same so um it, it wasn't it, it wasn't anything too surprising but it, but it actually equally i think that, that what i have found is they that the practice have taken things to another level um and really really kind of amplified um this sense of the importance of having having a set of values to wrap everybody around and you know really talking hard about it i mean i've been with civic for four years that's what attracted me as well it was it was that having that bigger picture view and that real sense of um we want to change the world actually do the right thing we want to change the world and do the right thing and that should be threading through every single one of our one of every single one of our projects and i think um hopefully that's something that that clients can see and that they can that they can um, that attracts them to to work with us as well um it, it is it's that sense of wanting to really make a difference and um leave a, a a good leg a good legacy actually that was it it's, it's easy to work with with companies who just want to get the next job done and the next job done the next job done but actually we 
having that much bigger picture and, and realizing that we can make make our infrastructure work harder so it, it's sort of what An andrew's saying about challenging clients yes we can put a road through here but could we also make it be somewhere nice to hang out could we also make it work for wildlife could we make it work for water quality could we make it stop flooding you know can we do more things with this one piece of space than somebody else would do and and i think that's a really attractive and um, exciting proposition hopefully that's something that clients enjoy working with us for that's certainly what we're trying to do with the avenues it's not just this is a street that carries people from a to b but actually it could be something where the biodiversity of the city is you know the city's brought back to life and it's somewhere that that can contribute to the ongoing ecological sustainability as well so so we can do more than one thing with a building or with a space and i think that's that's really exciting that that's where we'd like to sort of add add value for clients I mean, there's obviously some really strong values uh, at Civic, and you can sort of feel that as we're we're talking these things you really believe. I'm wondering when a company has such strong values at sort of that overall level, how you balance that with people's needs to be part of a, a smaller group. You know, I'm thinking the studio identities, how you get that, the balance between the sort of corporate identity and its values, and then the studio group and belonging. I think I think that's that's interesting because we've got um, four studios and they do all have different cultures and different ways and, and we're in a in a transition period with our Leeds and Manchester studios and that we're bringing to them together as as one team which is being led by me and um, two other directors and um, and we're working about how working together about how we um, Sort of reboot our lead studio so we, we're talking about what, what it should look like and and how we want to work together and how we want to set out our desks and whether we want to create spaces for collaboration and making sure that we have really regular communication with our teams is really important well we're consciously thinking that we've probably used enough of your time this afternoon <laughs> can't shut me and Andrew up, can you? <laughs> it's a really interesting conversation. Well, um, shall we sign off? Leah from underneath your couch yeah. and Andrew from uh, on top of yours. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Yeah, thanks ever so much. <laughs>